Hello and welcome to Hacker Public Radio. This is Charles in New Jersey. I'm back with another series on maths. This time it's not recreational math, it's what I would call practical math. Today's show is going to focus on using and converting between units of distance and area. I'm going to start with an example to tell you how the the whole thing's going to be treated. And if you only listen to this part, you'll have the general idea, what I'm about to discuss, in your mind. And it might help you as you go forward in problems where units and units conversion come up. Now suppose John has nine apples in his basket. If he gives away two apples to Mary, how many does he have left? Of course, the answer is it's seven, right? Well, in school, I suppose you could get away with saying just seven, because the teacher would know what you meant. They'd know that you said, oh, okay, nine apples and gives away two apples, and okay, that, that's really just code for a subtraction problem of nine minus two and get seven, right? Well, I'm hoping to change the way you look at this. What I want to emphasize today is keeping the units in the math equation. So when you're doing any kind of reasoning or calculation on physical objects or distances or times or volumes or areas or speeds or voltages, what have you, that you'll always give the answer with the units attached. Because if the units are correct, you have a much better chance of having the right numerical answer, the right number of units so that you won't be the one to send a spaceship to Mars and crash it into the planet because you supplied a number for a parameter to a subroutine that was for English measurements when the subroutine was expecting metric or the other way around. So if John has nine apples and he gives away two apples from his basket to Mary, he doesn't have seven left. He has seven apples left. Now, you're going to get sick of me saying that 7 is in some way a wrong answer, and that the answer is 7 apples. But you will thank me when we start talking about things like square miles being converted to, oh, hectares. I think you're going to appreciate the importance of carrying the units in even the simplest of calculations involving something physical something that you can count or measure or experience or see. Very important that you get the units right. If you don't get the units right, you may not get the answer right. And if you give the wrong answer as just a number, someone could use it and get hurt. And we don't want that. So here's segment one. I'm going to talk about distance and area in the English system. And some of these things are pretty wild. I left out quite a number of them because there's just so many. Unless you consider the history, they're just very strange. So I'll give a little synopsis of some English units, how they relate to one another, where some of them came from, and how you would convert from one to the other when you need to. Now, I'm going to talk about the English system and the metric system eventually. But in some sense, measurements are really kind of arbitrary. I could have used a distance of measure that was the width of my grandson's hand on the day he turned two years old. And I could have called it the Dexter because I used his right hand. Or I could use another alternative measure, which is the, the span of his left hand, 
the day he turned three. I could call that the sinister. It's probably just as valid as whatever originally gave us the idea of the inch and the foot and the yard and even the mile that we've used for, without thinking about it really, for a long time. So let's get into the English system. Now, the basic units of distance, without getting into the micro distances, are our familiar friends, the inch, the foot, the yard, and the mile. Now, the units of area are the square inch, the square foot, the acre, and square mile. There are, of course, others. If you're buying carpet, you probably have talked about buying a certain number of square yards. You might even have called it yards. Now, there are other units of distance and and area, of course. The barleycorn is still used in some shoe sizes. That's a third of an inch. There's the hand, which is four inches for describing the size of a horse. There's the rod that's used in surveying. That's 16 and a half feet or five and a half yards. There's a chain, which is also from surveying and building which is four linear rods, which you can convert to, what, 66 feet or 22 yards, a lot of inches. And it probably originally referred to an actual chain that was used that was a standard length so that you could measure a field without having to keep moving the ends of the chain hundreds of times. It was probably convenient for measuring frontage with only a few measurements and getting it right. The fewer times you have to play around with the endpoints, the less error correction you'll have to do when you finally look at the data in your diagrams and figure out the area of the field or piece of property. Let's see, what are some others? Well, there's the furlong that some of us know from horse racing, although it's really a more general agricultural term from plowing. That's 220 yards or 40 rods or 10 chains. I guess the furlong was originally the greatest length of a furrow that you could plow without resting your animals. So it might have come from furrow long, but furlong is what we have, and it's about an eighth of a mile. In fact, it is an eighth of a mile, and I'll get into that in a moment. Another unit of measure would be the league, which was supposed to be about an hour's walk, I guess, through the woods, because it's assumed to be about three miles. So if you're looking at 20,000 leagues under the sea, that's really, really deep. Just kidding. I'm really just kind of being silly there. 20,000 leagues refers to distance traveled in a submarine which travels under the sea. For ships at sea, one league would be three nautical miles, which is more consistent and useful. So I'm going to now share with you what I'm calling brilliant insight number one. Units of distance are somewhat arbitrary. Now, we did not standardize on inches or feet or miles or these others because they're, in some sense, magical numbers handed to us by some deity or whatever you pray to. We used them because they were convenient, and we standardized on them because they let us talk to each other. When you have a standard unit of distance, you can start talking about how far something is, or how tall someone is, or or the size of a room, or the length of a piece of wood that you're buying, without having to be there in the same place at the same time. I don't think we'd get very far in building houses if builders had to ask for boards that are as long as my arm, or a plank that's, oh, yay long. If you're 
not standing in the same room, if you're talking on the telephone, yay long doesn't buy you anything. So you really want to have standard units. So you can order things by writing down the measurement on a piece of paper and sending it with a messenger. Or, in these days, you could order it online because you have measured it and both people on each end of the communication will know what's meant when you say something is six feet long. Oh, okay. That's the English standard unit, six feet. Okay, I know. I know how to, how to measure that. So I'll give you the accurate measure. Okay. Now some of the, some of the units that I talked about earlier seem a little odd, right? Seem a little, just a little bizarre. Now the rod and the chain. Now these are, these were, I guess, used in measuring farmland, uh, building plots and other things that surveyors need to measure. Now a rod is five and a half yards or sixteen and a half feet. What is that? I guess it was convenient because that's probably a, the size of an actual rod you could use to measure in certain places. It's not so short that you have to lay it down 150 times to get across someone's frontage, but it's not so long that the stick starts to bend and and warp and collapse under its own weight. Maybe it's kind of a convenient length. Now, for longer distances, you could use the chain, which is four linear rods, or the length of some surveyor's chain back in history. Now, I suppose you could have defined these originally to have been longer or shorter, but this is a standard that emerged from usage over time, and that's what we have. Okay, now a furlong. As I said before, that's the an agreement that it's the longest row you can plow without resting the animals, and it happens to be ten chains long. So you've got, even though these are somewhat weird-sounding units of measure or distance, they are related, and they are consistent with one another. So you can use them together and not have to worry about this fractional piece left over because the rod and the, and the furlong aren't exactly in sync. It's not an even number of, of rods in a furlong. No, they're consistent, and it, and it works. Now, if you want to get into bizarre, let's go to the acre, which is a measure of area. And if you're ever on a quiz show, an acre is... 43,560 square feet. How about that, huh? But if you're ever on a quiz, you should remember that. If the category is English units of measure. Okay, now it's defined as an area of a plot that's one chain wide by a furlong in length. And if you remember that a furlong is 10 chains, you will see that an acre is really the area of a rectangle that's one chain in width by 10 chains in length. So you could call it 10 square chains. And square chains is as good as square feet or square yards. It's a unit of area. Just as one square foot is the area of a square that's a foot on each side, a square chain would be the area of a square that is one chain on each side. So it's not really that hard to see where they might have come to this unit of measure that turns out to be this weird number, but it came from something that was consistent to the people who were measuring fields using instruments like chains. And it actually makes sense that an acre is the area of a field that has sides that are integer numbers of these chains. So when you multiply it together, you get a weird-looking number, but it's actually quite easy to see where it came from. 
And if you're not convinced, I'm not going to be able to convince you. I'll just move on. Now, let's see. Let me back up a bit. How did I get to that bit about an acre being 10 square chains? Because it was defined as an acre is one chain by one furlong. Now, I also know that a furlong is 10 chains, and I can set up a conversion factor by comparing 10 chains and one furlong. Because if I take two things that are equal, let's imagine an equation, one furlong equals 10 chains, and I divide them both by the same quantity, let's say I divide each side of that equation by one furlong, well, then I'll get one furlong over one furlong equals one, and 10 chains over one furlong must also be equal to one, because equals divided by the same thing, if the divisor is not zero, will give you equals. So when I'm doing unit conversion, I'm going to get to this in just a bit. I'm really, in a sense, I'm multiplying by one, because one furlong is 10 chains. So if I multiply by a quantity that is a ratio of 10 chains to one furlong, I'm really multiplying by one. So I get an acre is one chain times one furlong times one, but I'll, instead of one, I'll use 10 chains over one furlong. Furlongs cancel. I get an acre is equal to one chain times 10 chains or 10 square chains. So keeping the units in the equation is a kind of magic. It really helps. I think we should go forward. I'll explain a couple of other things and then I'll get into converting between units. The mile has a similar story, except there's a historical development that explains why is it that a mile is 5,280 feet? Well, the mile came into use in the culture that gave us the English system of units during the Roman occupation. Because they marched a lot, the Romans had a unit of measure that the English people began to call the mile. They standardized on 5,000 feet, which was about the length of 1,000 double steps or paces. A person from that period, two steps would take you about five feet, so they decided, okay, 5,000 feet, 1,000 mile paces, let's call it a mile. And it worked for them for probably 1,500 years. Now, the Roman mile was a little short for practical use, partly because the Roman foot was shorter than our modern English foot. So we ended up getting into a lot of different measures that were all called the mile. Some of them persist to this day. There was the Old English Mile, the Irish Mile, the Scottish Mile, and there was probably a Welsh Mile and other miles, depending on where you lived. Now, going forward, if you were trying to standardize, what would be a good standard? Well, I was thinking that I would speak of this to simplify things by using a Roman-inspired mile which would be 5,000 English feet, which would make things a little bit simpler than referring to all the different legacy miles that we were talking about before. So I'm going to call 5,000 English feet the Roman-inspired mile. Now, Elizabeth I came in, and she created something through Parliament called the Statute Mile, and the Statute Mile was set equal to eight furlongs. 
which is our current mile is 1,760 yards or 5,280 feet. I know that metric users are probably looking at this and saying, all right, you had a unit that was 5,000 feet is a mile, and you made it 5,280 feet to make it equal to 8 furlongs? What gives? Why not at least make it 10 furlongs or something? Well, I'm sure that even though Elizabeth was the queen, she still didn't want to create huge disruptions in society. The goal, presumably, was to set the new mile equal to some integer number of furlongs, because the furlong was really in use. It related to agriculture in many different ways, as we've already seen. It's how we measure farmland and even how we set work rules on how much to plow without resting. And people were using it, and they liked the mile as it was, but it would be convenient to have an even number of furlongs in a mile. So it was a compromise. This new statute mile was pretty close to my Roman-inspired mile of 5,000 feet. Only about 5% longer. And within striking distance of the miles already in use. And yet it was equal to an even number of, of furlongs. So you didn't have to say it was, oh, 8 furlongs less 280 feet. That doesn't really doesn't really work. But if you say it's eight furlongs, then okay, you can you can work with that because then you can have you can quote distances as a quarter mile, a half a mile. And if somebody's trying to picture that, they can say, well, that's a quarter mile is two furlongs, a half a mile is four furlongs. So it, it does kind of make sense. It has practical benefits because you, know, you can talk about how far something is in terms of furlongs, which you might know, or the new mile, which people are getting used to. It's it's defined in terms of something familiar, and yet it's close to the old unit that people used to use, and I guess anybody who didn't like it very much could either move or be very confused when they talk to other people. So now we have this, this unit called a mile that measures 5,280 feet. So if we're going to have units that are these crazy multiples of something that we do know, like a foot, it would probably be helpful if we knew reliable ways to convert between units so that we're comfortable that we're getting the answer right. If you've ever had to convert between temperature scales, you're going to like distances in about a minute because remember that the whole thing about converting between Fahrenheit and Celsius where they had zero in different places and there were negative temperatures and positive temperatures and they, they started in different places. So you had to do this offset thing and then adjust to the scales. Well, distances don't do that. Zero is zero. And there are no negative distances unless you start talking about vector quantities, which have direction as well as length. And if you understand vectors, you don't really need to listen to this podcast because you probably will understand all of this at least as well as I do. So just think of it this way. You don't have to worry about shifting anything. Units of distance, you can define them in terms of the scale factor. You know, there's a foot, and if you want to use a larger basic unit, you could use a yard, three feet. Cool. There's an inch. But if you want to use a more refined unit or talk to somebody in Britain or in Canada, you could use a centimeter, which, thank goodness, is now exactly 2.54 centimeters to the inch. It used to be approximately that. But somebody changed the length of one or the other of the platinum bars that they use as the standard for these things. 
so that the centimeter is defined so that it is exactly 2.54 centimeters to the inch. But don't be afraid of the 2.54 bit, because a mile is defined as 5,280 feet. A foot is 12 inches. A hand is 4 inches. A yard is 36 inches. They're just arbitrary fixed units of distance. They're just of different lengths. So that if you take a distance measured in one unit, and you want to convert it to another unit, all you need is the scale factor that converts the first unit to the second. And all of this works because we have agreed, it's easy to agree in a natural way, on what a zero distance is. So we don't have to adjust for shifts in origin as we will have to do when we play around with non-absolute temperature scales and so on. We'll get to temperature scales and non-absolute scales soon enough, but it'll be in another show. So you don't have to tune out now. We're not going to go there. Now, for absolute scales, like distances, all we need is a conversion factor and a calculator if you need one. I don't think I'll be doing any calculations that really need a calculator, but if you need one, get it out now. Okay. Yeah, for absolute scales like distances, we can convert from, from any one unit to another one using a conversion factor. And I'm going to show you how to set these up, because when you're first looking at conversion factors... The question that I get all the time from newbies is, all right, I know that an inch is 2.54 centimeters, so I want to convert from centimeters to inches or inches to centimeters. How do I know whether I'm going to divide or multiply by that 2.54? And people ask us all the time. I'm serious. I mean, it's, it's a problem that you have to think through in order to get it right. But once you have a system for doing it, you don't have to think about it every single time you approach it. If you're just doing it at every time, you might have to go through this whole thought process of, oh my goodness, how do I do that? And do I divide? Are they bigger? Are they smaller? All of that's good. But if you have a system for doing it that takes care of all the accounting for which unit I'm in now, you'll have a much better chance of having the right intuition, getting the right number, and getting the right unit so that nobody's embarrassed or getting hurt. I think we ought to fix this in your minds by working through a couple of examples. Okay, first, I guess I'll pose a couple of problems. Now, I know that a, a foot is 12 inches. So how many inches would there be in, say, 10 feet? Or, looked at the other way, how many feet might there be in 660 inches? Two different problems, I'll warn you in advance. So you can't say, ah, oh, it's just... You can't just pick off the numbers that I've quoted because they are two different problems. But there, I chose the two problems because one's going from inches to feet, the other one's going from feet to inches. Now, it's clear that going either direction that a factor of 12 should really be involved because a foot is 12 inches. And how do I know when I'm going to either multiply or divide by 12 in the conversion? Well, let's take a look at it. If we do it with a naive setup, then I'll answer the first one by saying 10 feet. Well, that's 12 times 10 inches, or 120 inches. And 660 inches is 660 divided by 12, or, let's see, 600 divided by 12 is 50, 60 divided by 12 is 55 feet. Well, how do you know that you did it the right way? In each case, I sort of wrote down these numbers, and you can see it in the show notes, that without the units, it looks like magic, because I just... I just sort of knew, which I had to do. I'm going feet to inches, I, I multiply. Going inches to feet, I divide. Inches are not feet, and the only way to, to make sure you're doing the right thing when you go from one to the other is to develop a system, and this system is 
fairly simple to write down the calculation in such a way that you cannot get lost, unless you make it all messy and everything. But if you work through the calculations and cancel units against identical units and numbers against numbers and multiply everything together, if you come out with the right units at the end, all you have to check is your arithmetic. Much easier than having to check whether you did the right calculation. That's checking my math, the process by which I got from one to the other. If I got from inches, did a conversion factor with that, that whole thing that relates the, the source unit and the target unit in the right way, and I do all my canceling and I get the right unit at the end, I've done the right process. And all I have to check is whether my multiplication was right. And I can do that with a calculator and have some confidence that I got it right without having to step it off. Um, if I just write down numbers, I'm, yeah, I might get the arithmetic right. But if I'm not keeping track of everything that I did, I may not be able to be sure that I worked out the procedure correctly, that I got the math right. So here's a system for creating factors, conversion factors, that tell you exactly what's going on at each step. So when you're doing the conversion, you can really be sure that you know what's going on and that you've got it all right. And the basis of it, I think I've already said, is the very obvious fact that when I multiply any number, any quantity, by 1, the answer or the value of that quantity remains the same. How do I turn that into a system for doing successful unit conversions? Well, let's start with the other idea that I already told you about. Let's start with identities that we know are true. In this case, we're talking about inches and feet, so let's say, let's start with 12 inches equals 1 foot. I've already said if I divide two equal values by the same quantity, I'm not saying number here, I'm saying quantity, because the quantity includes the units. And that's the, the leap that we're making. We're going to carry the units with us. And if we do it correctly, we can use the cancellation laws that anything divided by itself will be 1 to work through the conversion and make sure that the, the quantity that we end up with, including the units, is in the right units, and it's the right number. So let's turn that equation, 12 inches equals 1 foot, into conversion factors that work in either direction. Okay, to go from inches to feet, I can divide both sides of this equation, 12 inches equals 1 foot, by the quantity 12 inches. The left-hand side, 12 inches over 12 inches, is equal to 1. The right-hand side, is 1 foot divided by 12 inches. Well, since I started out with an equality, I divided by the same quantity that's not 0, that's undefined. I have to have equals so that 1 foot divided by 12 inches is equal to 1. Now, if I go the other way, I could divide both sides by 1 foot. That actually gives me a conversion factor to go from feet to inches. And I'll tell you why that works in a second. So 12 inches divided by 1 foot is the left-hand side, and that's equal to 1 foot divided by 1 foot, which we know is equal to 1. Feet cancel with feet, 1 cancels with 1, and I get 1. So that I know that 12 inches divided by 1 foot is equal to 1. Now, if I multiply 12 inches divided by 1 foot by any quantity that's in feet, I'm multiplying, let's say it's 3 feet that I'm multiplying by that. Well, the 3 feet times 12 inches over 1 foot is equal to 
Well, I'll just rearrange terms, and I get 12 inches times 3 feet over 1 foot, and feet cancel up and down, so I get a unitless value of 3. So then I can say 12 inches times 3 is 12 times 3 inches, and I get 36 inches, which I know is 3 feet because I've used a yardstick. I know that 3 feet is a yard, and it's also 36 inches. So that accords with what we already know, it accords with intuition, and it uses very simple techniques like multiplying by one in a way that the unwanted thing cancels out, leaving you with the quantity, the units, that you want. So let's use this in the problems that we've already talked about. So let's say that I want to convert from feet to inches, and I want to go back to my problem, how many inches in 10 feet? Well, 10 feet is equal to 10 feet times 1, which is equal to 10 feet times 12 inches over 1 foot, which we know to be 1 because we've just done that. And that is 10 feet divided by 1 foot times 12 inches. Now, feet cancel. I get a unitless number 10. So I can say that 12 inches times 10 is the same thing as 12 times 10 quantity inches, and that's 120 inches which is what we had calculated before, except that the magic is gone. It's all very systematic. I start with the units I have. I multiply by a factor, a conversion factor, which has the units I want upstairs, the units I want to get rid of downstairs. I get cancellation, and I'm left with a multiplication problem that's all in the unit that I want. Very cool. It, it's hard to imagine getting that wrong. Now, suppose I'd use the conversion factor that's equal to the one I used, except upside down, so that I multiply 10 feet, my starting point, and that's equal to 10 feet times 1, equal to 10 feet times 1 foot over 12 inches. And what that is, is 10 square feet divided by 12 inches. So it's 10 twelfths of the square foot thing divided by an inch. What is that? Well, the equation is actually correct, but it's stupid because it's not in a unit that I want and that I can interpret. Now, if I put in enough conversion factors to cancel out the square feet and put inches back and everything, I would get the right answer. But I know that I'm, I know that I'm doing something wrong when I put in this conversion factor because the units are crazy. They're not what I want. So I know the number can't be right, unless some really big coincidence where everything I don't want cancels. But So when I use the form of that conversion factor where the units don't cancel each other, I can't know what I'm looking at. I can't tell whether I'm right because my units are wrong, so I can't just look at the number and check it. I can't just multiply numbers blindly. I need to look at the units. So it actually helps you to carry the, the units along so that you know whether you're multiplying or dividing by that 12. Because what you're really multiplying by, in this case, is not 12. You are multiplying by 1 foot divided by 12 inches. That's why you couldn't say that it's 10 twelfths of an inch is 10 feet. No, it's 10 twelfths of the ratio of square feet to inches. So that if you don't get what you want, in the units on the right-hand side when you have done all your canceling, go back and check your conversion factors and make sure that you applied them correctly. When you do that, you can unwind all this stuff and get to the right answer, the answer that you want in the units that you want.
So here's brilliant insight number two. When you use unit conversion factor, you can help your cause by carrying along both sets of units in the form of a fraction as you are writing down your, your problem. If the right-hand side of the equation doesn't have the units that you were looking for, your numerical answer is almost certainly wrong. Now, what can we derive from that? Well, the implication is that to convert units of distance, you need to multiply by a conversion factor that's in the form x target units divided by y original units. Because when you do that, and you write the conversion factor out in its full fractional form with the units, and you carry out all the multiplications and the cancellations, you can see whether you've got the right answer, whether you've done it right. It makes it hard to do the wrong calculation because you have this crazy set of units on the other side that tell you that you've done something that didn't make sense. This is going to revolutionize your life if you've always depended on calling someone who's good at math to do unit conversions for you. Because if you do it this way and the units match, you're good. If you got the wrong number, it's because you did the wrong arithmetic and that's easy to check. If your units are not right, you're solving the wrong problem. Now the equation may still be correct because you may have done all the multiplications, but it's not expressed in the units you want, so it's not very useful. So let's use this, the same system to solve the second example. I wanted to convert 660 inches to feet. So I start with 660 inches, which is equal to 660 inches times 1. I multiply that by the fraction, 1 foot divided by 12 inches, because I'm cleverly setting myself up to be able to cancel inches with inches and be left with feet. That's why I put feet on top, that's the one I want at the end, inches on the bottom, that's the one I want to cancel, and I think I'm going to get the right answer when I just multiply through the numbers and cancel the units. And that's exactly what happens. Let me rearrange terms. This whole thing on the, the second step, putting in the conversion factor, can be rearranged so that I've got the original number, 660 inches. I was multiplying by 1 foot over 12 inches, so I can put that 12 inches directly under the 660 inches. And then all I'm left with is I'm multiplying by 1 foot. Oh, that looks good, because it's clear when I've got inches over inches that those cancel, and I get a unitless number that's 660 divided by 12. And that ratio, that answer, 660 by, divided by 12, which is... 55 is now multiplied by 1 foot. So it's clear that the 55 times 1 foot is 55 feet, and feel pretty confident that that's probably the answer. If I did the division of those two numbers correctly, at least I know I'm in feet. So this gives you a real sense of confidence, which you're going to need because sometimes you don't have direct conversion factors, and you have to actually combine sets of factors. You may have to take one conversion step using one identity, a second one using a second conversion factor, maybe even a third conversion factor. But if you do this step by step by step, aiming for conversion factors that cancel out units you don't want and put in units you do to go to the next step, you will zero in on the right answer in the proper units. And if you carry the units along with it, you're much more likely to get the right answer or at least to have done the right process, so that you can go back over your arithmetic and make sure that it wasn't some silly mistake that you made along the way, you know, like 
calling 9 times 6 56 instead of 54. That, that kind of mistake you can fix because you can see how you did it. Okay, great. So I just have to check some arithmetic. That's much easier than determining at each step, do I divide or do I multiply? Because that gives you two choices to make on every conversion factor you use. If you had to use four of them, then you've got 16 combinations to try. You don't want to go down that road. Make your life easier, carry the units, and you'll see that you can convert between units of distance. And we're going to get into area in just a minute. And you can do this with confidence. So it's great. Okay, that's it for today's show. Be back with more practical math and more units here on Hacker Public Radio. Thanks for listening. Bye. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HPR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.